Before I start this episode, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. It has been, so far, one of the most challenging and rewarding projects I have worked on. And I'm so grateful to the guests that come on for sharing their thoughts and feelings. And because you are willing to spend your valuable time listening to me, it means the world. Whether you are new or have been listening for a while, I hope you're enjoying the content. Because there is so much I want to do with this platform. And there's so much that I want to do with the podcast. And it's beginning to materialise and things are beginning to happen. So I hope you're looking forward to what's to come and the episode ahead. Welcome to the podcast I am to entertain, inform and inspire you to do more with your passion for cars. Today's guest is one that I personally find to be of great intrigue. Harry of Cars and Custard has one of the most unique and eclectic collections of cars for someone who was born this side of 2000. We go through what it's like to be looked at and underestimated because of your age and the misunderstood nature of someone collecting, selling and trading cars since he was 13. I hope you're wondering how this is possible because this is what to come. I'm fairly conscious of the fact that it can quite quickly become something you didn't intend it to become. It took a lot of persuading people to kind of give me out, give me numbers that, you know, realistically they probably shouldn't have done. Um, but you know, it was a it was a real real learning curve trying to network with people in order just to find a car. But the reward of picking that car up and seeing the registration plate when I got there and knowing that Richard Hammond had sat in that seat, it was... I've got a lot of years on some other people um, and a lot of time to fail and and learn um, because that's the reality. Not everything is successful. um, But if I don't try it, then I don't know. I'd, I'd rather you know, do something and regret doing it rather than not do something and regret not doing it. I I kind of feel like if I try and be somebody else, I will fail uh, inevitably. Whereas if I just film what I do now and try and put it in a format that YouTube as a a whole will appreciate, um, to be honest, I don't see what I've got to lose. Just a quick one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just ask if you haven't already, please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. It takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. Harry, welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So um, a question I'd like to start off first is what ignited your passion for cars? Oh, uh, do you want the boring answer or the one where I actually explain a little bit? Oh, go to explain. Why not? So I'd probably say, I mean, first of all, you know, it's the usual where my parents had cool cars growing up. Um, my dad was in the motor trade um, and therefore he had a lot of demonstrators. You know, he worked for Honda, Audi, Jaguar. So I, I grew up around a lot of nice cars. Well, I say nice, but, um, you know, my mom had all the trading. So I got both ends of the spectrum in a way. Um, but I would say the biggest influence has got to be Top Gear. Uh, I mean, anybody of a certain age like like us, you know, your, your early 20s, you've got that crossover period where it's the last of the Top Gear as we know we knew and love it. Um, and people like Chris Harrison Cars, um, Car Throttle, so some of the big YouTubers coming in. Um, so, yeah, I'd say mainly Top Gear, to be honest. Yeah. And so was it the, the idea that you started collecting cars? Where did this come back? Where was you like, I want to start? I don't know, did it just come out of the blue or was it something you planned on doing? Well, to, to be honest with you, I I was kind of into karting. That's yeah. where I kind of, that's the background I, I kind of came from, uh, from a young age. And it gets to the point with karting where if you don't get sponsors on board, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and there was a point where I just thought, okay, these little things are cool, but I'd rather have a real car. Um, and obviously at the time, I think I was, first, first car I bought was 13, a uh, little Mazda MX-5 Mark I. Um, they're not as cheap as they were, uh, but back then you could get one for £500 and it was okay. 
Um, so I bought one of those, had it delivered to the house, um, kept it for two years, did a few little things myself, um, and then sold it for a profit. And then from there, it kind of started to snowball. And once I started having a bit of money behind me as well, it was, I don't know, you, you know, you only live once. And I yeah. thought, well, if I wanted the car and I can afford it and I have the means to, to do so, then, then why not? And it went from one to, the, to two to three to four to five and so on. Yes. Yeah, so what, I mean, what possesses the 13 year old? To go to go buy a Mazda MX-5. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it was we'd had one. Well, there were a few knocking about when I grew up, and I, I always remember that they didn't ever really cost anything to run, um, yeah. and they were coming up to classic car insurance status. And I thought, well, hang on, I could always insure my mom on this, and you know, it doesn't really cost anything to tax if I do it for six months and just enjoy it through the summer. Um, and it, it kind of, I, I did, I guess, a bit of early man maths, um, and it came out quite favourable, to be honest. Um, and I'd saved my money for, from a really young age to the point where I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll buy myself a first car and set myself up. And I just thought, well, money's no use sitting in the bank. I'm not enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, it was it was one of those. I just I got the attachment to MX-5s um, from growing up. We'd had a few. And, and I just thought, well, why not find a lovely one? Um, and, yeah, just, just went ahead. and. But I think the guy was a bit confused when I turned up. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was no I, I negotiated it, it was a good learning curve I guess but yeah I, I don't know I, I really don't know what possessed me to do it but it worked out well yeah so this buying and selling is it something that you might have learned from your dad or was it something you, you kind of just picked up I mean where did it come from I, I think it's it, it, I think it is my dad to be honest I mean he's yeah. always been in, in the motor trades and he's always worked in uh, chains of dealerships and, and things like that but he always, you know, he likes his cars like me and, and he always had a few on the side, uh, whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I picked it up from my dad, but in a different capacity in the sense that he did it to mainly make money. I do it mainly just to enjoy the cars and, and to try different things. Yeah. So what is it you enjoy most about the whole process? What is it that you kind of gets you sort of like motivated almost? Oh, I saw that car. Or is it the learning process? What is it that for you that kind of going, I want to see that car oh. and buy it and, and do stuff with it? I think, to be honest, it sounds really sad and, and pathetic, but I think it's the thrill of the chase. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, perfect example, you've had an R53, right? Um, yeah. I, I found that when I bought my R50, uh, which is an, another story, I, I, the one I always wanted was Series 3, Episode 4, Top Gear, not to be too geeky. Um, there was the the trio where they took the, the Digitech, the Hartger, and the John Cooper Works, yeah. R53s. And I always had it in my mind that I'd find the John Cooper Works, which was number four, um, the registration plate HM52 TEJ. So I went on a bit of a goose hunt for three years, I, I imagine, and eventually found the car. Um, it took a lot of persuading people to kind of give me out, give me numbers that, you know, realistically they probably shouldn't have done. Um, but it, you know, it was a it was a real real learning curve trying to network with people in order to just to find a car. But the reward of picking that car up and seeing the registration plate when I got there and knowing that Richard Hammond had sat in that seat, it was, yeah, I don't know. And I think since I've had a few special and interesting cars, and it is, it's just the thrill of the chase. And when you get them, you feel like you've got the ultimate reward, I guess. Yeah, because the idea for most people, even for me, to, to go and just, I mean, at so young, just to go and chase a car down, just to go to adults and be like, can I have this number? Is this... Is this confidence that you just just you think you have inside you, or did you have to build this up? I mean, was it was it, did it come with each car? Did it progress, or did you go, I can do it? There's no point. Why not? I, I think I think what it was is you know I kind of I went through school. I was a bit of a shrill, to be honest. Um, primary school, secondary school, college education is just not for me. But I got to the point where I thought, well, you know, like for example, when I got into college for the first time, I kind of I didn't get the grades at all. Um, I, I just did, and I, I kind of fell on my face uh, when it comes to when, when it comes to grades. But I taught my way in, and I thought, well, you know, if I can talk my way into something like that, then surely I can do it for for other things. And yeah. networking, I've always worked with marketing and, and, and things like that, so networking kind of came naturally, I guess. And you build up your confidence over time. And in a way, I'm, I'm still not confident with a lot of things. I mean, if I go into a, a supermarket, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone that I know. Um, but when it comes to cars and putting together a deal and speaking to other members of the community and finding out where their interests lie or why they're yeah. into it, then I don't know. I think the confidence kind of just comes from nowhere. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it's always been there in the background, but only for cars. 
Yeah, brilliant. So it's just like it's this way that cars can just sort of bring something out of you. They say passion and any sort of passion can just take you out of you. Because like starting this podcast, for instance, I was like, I don't, I don't speak to people outside of my job. I don't, I, like here, I walk around supermarkets. I don't want to speak to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. <laughs> but you just kind of, when it comes to your passion, you're more open. You seem more relaxed. So I think that's the kind of what makes you able to just go up to people and go, I've seen a car on a TV show. I'm going to spend three months hunting this thing down. So yeah, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Fa- fair enough to you for doing that. <laughs> but yeah, well, so- I've sold the car now. But it's you know, it's one of those. It's just as you say, it's. I don't know with your passions, it just kind of comes naturally, doesn't it? You open yourself up more. Yeah, and so when coming on to sort of picking cars, do you have a certain process, or is, is it more just like I like this car, I want to learn more about this car? So what's what's the process from start to finish for you to to look at a car? T- to be honest, it's it's one of those, I've got my favourites, so you know I, I'd buy a lot of R fifty minis. Um, they're my cup of tea. I buy a lot of E forty sixes, but. I think my father-in-law told me that he said he said there's only one way to learn it uh, about a car and it's to buy one. Yeah. Um. And I remember I, the first Mercedes that I bought. I'd had a few BMWs and I bought a, a Mercedes. Um. It was an E430 Avant-Garde Estate. Um. Gold. It were smoke silver. Uh. Exterior, beige interior, all the wood. Uh, proper old man spec, but it had AMG monoblocks. Cool thing. And I, I kind of bought it and I, I kept it for a while. And I saw a 330i manual touring, E46. Nice. I wanted. So I thought, right, well, I'll, I'll sell this. I'll move it on and I'll get what I want. And there's a guy called Matesh who's relatively well-known in the car community, a Maybach man on Instagram. Um, and he came to buy it. It was the first time meeting him. And he tore me apart. Um, I had, he showed me that I had no idea what I was looking at with this car. Yeah. Um, he took one walk around it and he said, this is your first Mercedes, isn't it? And I said, well, yeah, I was trying to hide it, but there was no hiding it. But after that, I've had a few since, and you do learn, you learn them in a way that no forum or group on Facebook could, could kind of prepare you for, you know, and I think if you've got the means to do it, then yeah, why not go and buy something as long as it doesn't cost silly money and you're not putting yourself in an uncomfortable position to do so yeah. then it's better to do something practically than in theory yeah and you so when it comes to the cars and maintaining yourself do you do that yourself or is it something you've learned as well on top or do you get them just to set into garages and stuff i'm very lucky that i've got a bit of a network of people around me that know how yeah. to do stuff because I, I don't i wouldn't know a, a fork from a spanner to be honest um I, I just don't bother because i will break something um I'll, you know I'll, I'll tinker around but nothing nothing serious I, I say i've got a good few friends that know their way in and out of the minis and, and e46s and, and they're all relatively local and they're all a good group of guys who yep. are willing to at the drop of a hat come out to me and, and fix stuff which is good yeah and it's brilliant it's brilliant to have the network as well because if you've got the people that are willing to support you like that why not calling them because i'm pretty sure you do the same for them so it's, it's not like you're putting them out so how does that building that network come, come about is it just buying the cars and speaking to people how do you find these people how do you surround yourself yes kind of people i think that the main aspect is i mean it's one of the things social media has really helped um because you know you can search in a hashtag for example and you will find you know if i type in uh, i don't know a hashtag e46 i'll find millions of posts that are tagged e46 and what's the likelihood that somebody who has who has posted that isn't going to be a fan realistically they are aren't they you know because otherwise they wouldn't be doing it um so i think yeah facebook groups instagram that helps a lot but the best way is to just go out there and and buy the stuff and meet the people um and even going to meets and shows and integrating yourself as much with the community as you possibly can and it will slowly start to build up i mean i had a, a car delivered earlier today and um we were going to go and go and get it ourselves and then we had an issue with the trailer and uh, you know things things that happen but luckily i had a guy who lived just down the road from where i needed it collected from and and he dropped what he was doing for me and you know when you kind of can network with these people you end up saving yourself a lot of money and time and yeah. effort um by simply just respecting people and, and befriending them i guess you could say yeah, I think it's it's, like, it's very sort of underrated sort of the, the, the soft social skills that some people like to look past. They're like, I need to know how to buy a car, tow a car. But if you learn to, learn how to talk to people, it's so much Absolutely. easier, so much done. You can skip so much of the sort of bureaucracy and democracy of everything. 
Yeah. So, speaking of social media, um, you're known as Cars and Custard. Where does that come from? Where does that name? So it's something that a lot of people ask me. And and ultimately, there's there's two ways to look at it. Number one, I do really like custard. Um, nice. I've just got a thing for it. It's, it's my favorite topping for a dessert, I guess you could say. Um, but the other reason was in I grew up around as I, we were in that kind of, I'm sure you're the same. You're in that transitional period where, you know, for example, Evo magazine was fighting with piston heads, forums, and, you know, everything kind of took over and went on the internet, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but when piston heads came about and I was looking at it as a little kid, um, I remember there, there was a kind of people would post their cars on there, but because obviously it's the early days of the internet, someone would post like a McLaren F1 and state it was theirs. And quite clearly it wasn't. So I believe that there became a tradition, someone will correct me, I'm sure, uh, where you'd post a, a photo of yourself with a tub of bird's custard with the car. Um, and there's a photo of Chris Harris out there actually doing it with a 997 GT3. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought it'd be quite a cool a, a cool thing to do. And it, it has a bit of a ring to it, doesn't it, I guess. So, yeah, I, I don't know. And also, I, I'd rather separate my personal life from that side of things. So I don't really want to use my name because it's, it's not very memorable. Um, and, you know, I think if you can make something a bit catchy that will stick in people's minds, then all the better. And so do you just use the social media as an outlet for your passion or is it something you want to grow? It, it's something I want to grow, um, but I'm fairly conscious of the fact that it can quite quickly become something you didn't intend it to become. Um, and for me, I, I'm sure you're the same. You look on Instagram, Facebook, and a lot of the stuff, it feels like a highlight reel. It doesn't feel authentic. Um, yeah. You know, you watch some people on YouTube and you know full well, even smaller channels, some of them now, they're not doing it for the passion. They're doing it for the money. Mm. They're doing it because they've seen somebody has got something that they want and that's their means to an end. Um, but the lucky thing is I don't do what I do for social media. So yeah, it is an outlet for my passion, but I don't rely on social media to inform my decisions, which is yeah. good, I think. So yeah, yeah I, I would like to grow it though. Oh, yeah. good. And why is it why is it so important to you that you stay authentic? Is it a um is it just a real sort of sticking to sticking to character, or is it you want to portray the the lifestyle as it's not as glamorous as it seems? Is that sort of where you're going with that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it is it is a case of you know the lifestyle isn't as glamorous as it seems because p- people see, especially a younger guy as well, and that's another reason why I came up with the cars and custard thing because when you start putting your name and your age out there, and people make presumptions, don't they? Yeah. Um, so whereas when you've got somebody with you and you're talking to them and you're showing them your actual car it's, it's a different uh, kettle of fish but yeah it, it's the, the problem is as I, I look at Instagram and I look at some people and you can tell the difference between those who are authentic and would be living that life if it weren't for Instagram mm. and those people who are living a life exclusively for Instagram and for me I'd be doing this if phones didn't exist um, so I just want to cater to people who like tat that the same tat that I do, you know. And as I think at the moment we're on five hundred and ten followers or something. It's yeah. not serious, but we had a post uh, two weeks ago that went to five hundred and sixty likes, Brilliant. pretty much overnight. So, and I'm lucky that every single person on there—well, not every single person, but a large majority of them—I do talk to. And they are quite, I don't want to say supportive, but, you know, they are interested. And that's what I aspire to have. I don't want a 1 million follower strong um, account with a demographic that doesn't, doesn't bother to, to like any of my posts because it's pointless. Yeah. So, yeah, stay authentic just to keep it real, I think. It's nice. And that way, like you say, you bring them, you, you've got more organic following. And that way, they're more. You said they're more reactive to your stuff, which is always great because if you're going to post stuff that you like, you want the people that that are what looking at to like it back because it's it's you're having a chat with it as well outside of them, outside of just a absolutely. Media. And so, speaking of tat, um, what current tat have you got? Oh, um, here we go. So, at the moment, I was going to say this is it's a difficult one. This because there's there's days. Where, I mean, I've got a board just up there in, in the kitchen that my, my better half writes, which is days without buying a car, and it does say one. Um, but the, the problem is, you know, if you have a, a glass of whiskey or something, it can easily take away. And, and once you get past five cars or six cars, it, it snowballs really quick. And, I mean, lately, because I've got the barn now, it's dangerous because you've got the space. 
so you you run out of excuses um but no at the moment so I, i'll go from the last ones i purchased i've got my well today i assume this will go after my post this evening um but i've just bought an e38 740i bmw nice um something i've had two identical ones of and i sold them i shouldn't have so i bought one back um i've got my x3 uh, which is a, a daily driver um it's a boring mom wagon kind of thing but it's actually one of 21 three liter diesel manuals oh, nice. um it's a quite a rare thing and you know 40 miles per gallon it's fairly quick it drives well um what else have i got i've got my e39 530i sport champagne edition 2 uh i've got two e46s at the moment so i got my 330d touring and my high mileage 330d saloon um and then i've got two minis two r50 jcw sound kits so yeah and then there's a few other cars in the family that we kind of um post on the page so some of the american stuff um like the ghostbusters cadillac the dodge daytona and and the mini cooper sd some some other bits like that um so yeah i'm looking in in all fairness, because there's a lot of access to cars on a regular basis. Yes. And I get to explore stuff that, I mean, for example, the, the Daytona is my father-in-law's car, and it's not something I'd ever spend my money on um, because of what they're worth to what it does to me. But the fact that I can enjoy it is yes. a great benefit. And what is it like? Just just out of curiosity, because the Daytona is one of my favorite cars. So what, what is it like just to drive? Oh, it's an animal it's an animal i mean it's constantly trying to kill you it's i i don't want to say it, it is horrible um it, it, it as a kind of it, it doesn't really want to do one thing or another and driving it in the uk as well it's yeah it's just nerve-wracking um i mean if the tires aren't warm you're just going to go sideways everywhere even if you don't mean to um if the tires are warm it still doesn't grip um but it doesn't help that it's been set up you know, it's a 5.11 race Hemi, so it's 8.4 litres. It's about 690 horsepower to the rear wheels. Um, and three-speed automatic, which is obviously really outdated. But it's it's a case of driving those on UK roads that have, you know, we have a lot of cambers and potholes and things like that. Any little thing can upset that car. And when you do upset it, there's no steer, steering feel. There's, there's just nothing. The pedals, there's nothing that will allow you to control that car. So you basically just put your foot down, cling on for dear, for dear life. It's um, yeah, it's horrible, but it is fantastic to experience, uh, you know. And it is an animal. It makes you realise that some of the stuff the kind of Detroit automakers have been coming out with these past few years are uh, they're not what they used to be. No, I mean like Dodge just come up with that Banshee, which I think is flipping hilarious. I love the thing because <laughs> uh, I'm I'm kind of. Um, I don't know, with our electric car thing, the way I see it is just buy a Tesla. Mm. Because, I I mean, don't get me wrong, I've got a few issues with Tesla. You know, the build quality of the item for the price that they cost, I yeah. think it's absurd. You know, and uh, arguably a Porsche Taycan is a much nicer thing. And I'm sure that Dodge will be amazing and very fast. And But, I mean, I was watching the video, the, the kind of launch video they did. Mm. And when it started making that sound, I thought, oh, that looks really cool. It looks a bit like a 1970 Charger. And then when it started making that really weird sound, I was like, oh, hang on, I don't really... It sounds like a UFO's landed or something, and I just... I don't like the the, the pretend nature that they're trying to make something into what it isn't. You know, make it a Tesla killer. Brilliant. Don't make it try and sound like a 1969 Charger. It just doesn't... But I yeah. do love it, though. I, I love the way it looks. And I'm sure if I drove one, my mind would be swayed. I think worst comes to worst, you just chuck the um the five eleven out of your Daytona in one of those, and you can just have a cool looking car that you can drive. So that, yeah, that's, no, that's that'd a, be the end of the world. No, no, you are right. And it, I, th- I suppose it brings us on to a, a, another interesting point. Now, I mean, you know, will there be a person that, that puts the kind of motors out of that bunch into a Daytona? I mean, that's with all resto modding and putting electric motors in classic cars. Now, is that something that will? be on the cards i mean it'd be very upsetting but it's possible right so that leads me to another question that i wanted to ask is it just pure cars that you would like to collect or is it just you would you would you take anything so speaking about resto mods or speaking about like modified cars is it do you like to keep the purity for purity's sake or is it more just like you'd like to look at different cars just because you find them interesting 
Um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not really a snob, really, when it comes to, you know, I like my OEM stuff, don't get me wrong. Um, but that's mainly because I appreciate that, you know, so, for example, something like an E39, mm. some guy with, you know, that's 3D printed a part isn't going to be able to do it as well. He hasn't put in as much development in as BMW would have, right? That's just... Yeah how it works some guy in a shed can't knock up something better than a team of engineers out of munich it just doesn't work but i don't you know i, I wouldn't turn down an 800 horsepower skyline um no. <laughs> you know to, to be honest you'd be crazy not to yeah exactly and and it's it's one of those, I, I like variation um i've got my tastes but mm. i'd like to try it all at some point um maybe not you know i'm not that interested in kind of your Audi S3s, you kind of, um, the stuff you see at car meets now, I'm not so, not quite so interested in it. Uh, you know, your RS3s, your M140Is, uh, sorry, Tim Woodford. Um, but stuff like that, I'm just not, I haven't got an interest in, but the modified stuff, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's great. As long as it's done well yeah. and it doesn't compromise the usability of the car too much um, for its intended purpose, then yeah, why not? Perfect. And so looking towards the future and stuff, I do this a lot just because I do a lot of future thinking. But so what were the cars that you'd want to have? Do you have a list? Do you have a sort of a shopping list? What, what would be on that list? I do have a bucket list. Um, unfortunately, it's 300 cars long, okay, which doesn't maybe, give me much. We're not the podcast for that. We'll go. <laughs> no, no, no. I no, won't give you all of it. I, I think the highlight, the highlights. To be honest, I have learned not to try and predict it um, mm. because it's very much with what I do the kind of niche cars that I buy it's very much you've got to wait for the right one to come up at the right time mm. and you could be looking for an E55 AMG and you know a Mazda MX-5 will come up there seems to be no consistency uh, you just can't predict it but uh, I would say now I've got the 7 Series out of the way and hopefully that stays I'd say an E39 and 5 next that's my nice. that's the car I've always aspired to own um, from a realistic standpoint um, maybe a Ferrari F430 um just you know some bits that i wanted from my childhood i guess so but the problem is the e is like anything now it's big money mm. there's not much of a difference between that and a ferrari f430 there's not no and i think it's that the poster cars are sort of like nowadays you're looking at e30 m3s you're looking at sort of that sort of era of cars now becoming ridiculously expensive yeah so, I, I guess it's the people who've got the money now with the people who grew up around them right yeah so that makes sense so you're looking at NSXs, which is now going for 120 grand. It's just like this this bit of this just makes no sense to me. But there we go. That's the car market. You can't do anything about it. Wow. Um, it is mental. <laughs> I do wonder why I'm in it sometimes. <laughs> well, it takes, well, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to just go and start collecting cars. Because when did it, for you, when did it become a, not an obsession, but like when, so when did you get the shed? When did the shed come into it and why did you get the shed? Okay. So I've, I've grown up in the same street from a, a, a young age and uh, kind of my neighbors all knew me through the car so it wasn't really as much of a problem then i hate to say it, there's a lot of old people in, in this street and they all started dying out um, basically it sounds really bad um but i got to the point where i was like okay i need to start get somewhere for these cars now um i mean at one stage i think i had five cars here um to one house and i had a battery go flat on a seven series um, I had an E30 broken down in the garage. Uh, I had two minis and some other bits as well. And it was trying to charge the batteries on them all and trying to do what was impossible. Mm. Um, and then it got to the point where I, was, I just thought I, I need a place to to put these. And I wanted more cars you yeah. know, naturally, but I just didn't have the space. Um, and I'd got to the point where the cars I'd bought or the cars I'd collected were ones I wanted to keep. But I didn't want to just stop there, obviously. So I started the hunt for a place, like a unit, um, went to go and view a few. Um, and I'll level with you, it was the worst experience of my life. Um, absolutely yeah. dreadful. Dealing with estate agents and solicitors is just, it's bad. And I mean, the, the problem is I went through one, I went to go and see a unit that I'd always I'd always kind of fancied. I went mm. to see it and I spoke to the um, the landlord and he was doing it through an estate agent. And he, well, I, I think he really liked me anyway. And I explained to him my, what I was planning on doing. 
and he was fine with it. And um, you know, he was even making the joke of, oh, you know, I'll bring my car over and we can have some photos and this and the other. But yeah. when he passed me over to the estate agents, it was a different kettle of fish. Um, I spoke to a guy on the phone, um, sorry, Richard from Doolittle and Dally, um, which was awful. Uh, and they basically belittled me um, and said, look, you, you're too young. We have no security here. Um, so I, I kind of offered what I could offer. I said, well, look, this is your security. Here's the bank accounts. Uh, yeah. Here is what I can provide you. And they didn't want any of it. Um, so I just said, okay, well, stuff it then. So I went to go and have a look at some uh, more commonly seen units. Uh, and I just got the impression from all the landlords that, they could have kicked me out in an instant. Um, you get the impression they're not doing it for passion at all, which is fine. It's not, you know, not a problem, but I don't really want to be in a place where my landlord could sell to developers at the drop of a hat. And then I've got to go and move my eight, nine cars mm. from there into somewhere else. It's just not what I want. So I, I stumbled across where I'm at at the moment, um, which was uh, it's a good area away from, from where I live. Uh, but I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not too first place. I'll be able to drive some nice cars there and back. So it's not a problem. And all the roads are lovely. Um, and it turns out the week after my my girlfriend, actually, her family moved there mm. uh, about 10 minutes down the road, which is ideal. Nice. So I met the landlord and instantly everything kind of fell into place. He wasn't judging me based on my age. He wasn't judging me based on what we'd be doing. Um, and yeah, so it came back and I, I just thought, yeah, I've, I've got to go for it. It's now or never. Um, take the risk and I mean yeah I've sunk a lot of money into it to be honest but it's it's starting to find its feet now um, and it's a kind of place where I've had friends over and yeah. you know we, we can sit and have a coffee and look at some nerdy art on the wall um, like a civic type R brochure from 2004 from the Japanese market it's still got its cling film on and, um, and then look out and, and you're next to a Ghostbusters Cadillac and Next to that is a, a Rover SD1, and next to that's a 500,000 Mali 46. And it's the kind of place that I guess every car guy aspires to have. Yeah. Um, but it's not without its stresses, to be fair. And so this is what I wanted to be frank about. So how old are you? And the fact that you have nine cars. So let's just get that out of the way. 21. You're 21. You have not. I'm 21. I don't have any cars. <laughs> so this is... But but you've, you've been with it up for 13 years. So what is it like dealing with people that, A, just take you for advantage for your age and don't appreciate sort of the, the journey, I guess? It's difficult. It's a, I, I've always described it as a barrier to entry, to be honest. Mm. Um, and this is, an, as I say, it's another reason why I kind of went for the carbon custard thing because people were people do judge you, don't they? You know, they, they do. And, I mean, first of all, when I, I sold a few of my cars, you'd have people come around for a, a test drive and then you'd take them out and you could tell they were tense um, in the passenger because they don't know how you're going to drive, do they? No. And they don't really know how to speak to you um, because you're giving, you're coming across as relatively grown up, so to speak. But your image and you know especially when i started doing it it was very difficult because you're 16 you know yeah. and it's it's hard and you've got no license so you can't drive things and people are oh, why are you doing it and is this right and they're thinking it's dodgy and you know it's it's been very difficult but now i'm at the point where i've connected to the right people um the kind of people i've networked with if i don't know somebody personally it's nine times out of ten they will know them um so yeah it's been difficult as i'm sure you know the same with you as well people like to put a downer on what you do um and people don't like to see the potential in things um but at the end of the day you've just got to do what you want to do and i did it i persisted and now it's starting to well i don't want to say it's starting to take off but you know it, i've looked at the analytics of everything and i'm starting to make a lot of friends now through it and yeah. um, i'm doing a lot of trade with it as well you know there's a few ventures that i'm going into that i wouldn't have been able to do without the account i guess you could say um but yeah it, it's been hard but on okay, the flip side what are the advantages of being being so easy like is it the surprise in people's faces and you speak about the ventures if you're if you're happy to what are those and what does it allow you to do having sort of so, this this um, event this thing where to be it? honest with you I, i'd like I'd like this all under one roof kind of automotive space, I guess you could say. Mm. Um, 
And I mean, I look at something like Caffeine and Machine. I just think that's incredible what they've done. Um, you know, but I, I look at I look at a showroom, uh, you know, a kind of car cafe kind of thing, um, detailing, anything yeah. that is automotive based that I can sink my teeth into. I, I have every intention of going into it, to, to be honest, um, because I don't see what I've got to lose. I've got a lot of years on some other people um, and a lot of time to fail yeah. and, and learn um, because that's the reality. Not everything is successful um but if i don't try it then i don't know I'd, I'd rather you know do something and regret doing it rather than not do something and regret not doing it so yeah, yeah just you know anything anything i can sink my teeth into to be honest um automotive related i'd like to venture into youtube uh, at some point because i think the ins the kind of insight i have into some of these cars is a bit unique yeah. uh there's not many people who can do a pov video on a ghostbusters cadillac right so you've got I might the market, as well use yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, well, I might as well use it to my advantage. But yeah, anything. Honestly, anything that's you know, there's a little bit of money in and and I can kind of make it mine. Uh I'm open to it all. Yeah, brilliant. And so sort of taking the YouTube bit as just a sort of um idea, is there is there many sort of um avenues you would you would you go sort of like um down the road of I don't know, there's people like Stradman or people like um, Seen Through Glass. Would you go through that attitude, or would you go for like the reviewing the cars? Well, I mean, would you? What would be the? Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a difficult one because I, I feel like I mean, let's use someone like Shmee for example. His work ethic is unquestionable, right? But his his kind of how he comes across is questionable, in my opinion. Um, okay. And I can't, you know, I'm I'm in no position to to uh, kind of pass judgment on on Tim because I say I respect the hell out of those guys and people like stradman yeah incredible but i'm not the kind of person who's going to say hi guys what's going on and point a camera at my face it's just not Fair enough, yeah. my kind of thing um I, I look at someone like harry's garage as a, a kind of perfect example um i've always admired the chris harrison cars stuff um i've always admired admired alex kirsten um who's obviously recently gone into his own thing um but yeah just I don't know. I, I like the idea of doing things so other people don't have to, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, buying a half million mile Audi or BMW or whatever, just so some other poor idiot doesn't get stuck on the side of the road in it, you know. But if it helps people to make an informed decision, then yeah, why wouldn't I want to do it, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think. Harry's Garage. Um, there's a few guys, you know, Car Guys TV. They're they're another one that I watch. Okay. Um, I think Seen Through Glass is the one. If I was to go that route, he's the one I'd want to kind of take after because his production quality is ice off the scale, isn't it? At the moment, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so yeah, and I, I mean, I spoke to Mr. JWW and a few of, a few of the guys, and you know, I, I love what he's doing, but I, I kind of feel like if I try and be somebody else. I will fail uh, inevitably. Yeah. Whereas if I just film what I do now and try and put it in a format that YouTube as a as a whole will appreciate, um, then uh, yeah, I might lose, but it's my best opportunity, I guess. And how do you develop this sort of self aware nature to know that you're if you if you're not yourself, where does this where does this experience come from? Because most people go, I'm going to try and be like the person, copy them to the T, fail, and not know why. So why is it that you're so you're self aware enough to realise that you can't just copy things? You have to be yourself. Where is where's that come from? Where's that learning stem from? I think it's a lot of it has to do with being. Um, well, I, I don't want to say a lot of it has to do with being yourself because it's a very cliche thing to say, isn't it? But when you start to realize, I mean, I usually like to surround myself with people who are better than me, to, yeah, to, to, to yeah, put it enough. frank, you know, yeah. they might have better cars than me, or they might be a nicer person than me, in my opinion. Um, they might have a nicer hair. Anything I want in life, I'll surround myself with the people who have that. Hmm. Um, and I'll look up to them and I'll figure out what they're doing that is different to what I'm doing. And nine times out of 10, it's just that they've followed their own personal journey sure. and they've seen it to its end. And, you know, I, I guess a certain amount of it has to do with trying to be like others. I mean, I bought a, 
I saw all these, you know, kind of car accounts in 2017, 2018. It was when Instagram was really taking off. Mm. And I went and bought an Abarth 595. Um, yeah. At the time, I was doing some um, some marketing work. And I went and I stretched myself, I won't lie. Um, mm. And I bought a relatively new Abarth 595. And I started posting content with it. And nobody cared. Absolutely yeah. nobody cared. And I thought, well, I've wasted, I think it was £11,000 at the time. Um, and then I lost money on the car as well. Okay. I've wasted all that money and effort on this car. I don't even really like to impress others. Mm. And then I thought, well, what's the point? So I started buying stuff to impress myself and just posting it anyway. And when I started doing that and, you know, as soon as you get a little bit of money behind you and, and you start rolling, you tend to just do stuff to benefit yourself. And if it benefits others, then great. Um, if not, then it is what it is. I'm, I, I just, I don't know. I like to stay authentic with it. And I'd rather buy a half million Mali 46 than I would a, an ADS3. It's just who I am. And I think when you've been down that path of trying to be like other people and it's failed, yeah, you start to think, well, what have I got to lose being myself? Yeah, it's just, it's just failing, learning, and just be like surrounding yourself. People seem to be sort of, just do it. Because if you absolutely like, you surround yourself with the right people, you fail enough. They they'll. They, I mean, let's be honest. They can tell you how not to fail, but the best thing is just trying it. Like you say, just trying it. If you fail, you learn. So absolutely, yeah, it's the best thing to. And I know we're coming towards the end, Harry. But there's a few questions I'm sure you're ready for. Um, but so the, the uh, three car, ultimate three car garage. I know you've got like more than three, but if you had to pick three, what would you go for? I've actually got a list right here at the side of the iPad of, <laughs> of what I've prepared for this. Um, but the the kind of well, I, I thought about this all last night. I had a fair few beers thinking about it as well. Um, I, I think, and I know you mentioned I was listening to Tim's podcast, a good friend of mine, um, and it, one was track, one was daily, and one was garage cream, right? Whatever you want. Like, there's no, this is it's completely hypothetical. You can have anything. But if you're going to stick with, like you say, your daily, your street queen, your track car, what would you go for? I think, uh, t- to be honest, I think I'd have an R32 GTR as a, yeah, a track toy um, and to kind of get my Japanese juices flowing. Um, I, I'd have to have an E39 and fives a daily. Um, okay. yeah. You know, having had so many of the BMWs now, it's the E39 is the one for me uh, and the M5 is obviously the ultimate iteration of, mm-hmm. of that. And then my garage queen, I know it's a bit controversial and it, it goes against everything I've said I'm not interested in, but I'd have a 458 Speciale Aperta. That's I mean, just... You got to try everything once, haven't you? So, yeah, I mean, I'm to be honest, I'm the kind of person I, I really do uh, kind of go against modern supercars, and I'm like, oh, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And as soon as I sit in one or drive one, I'm I'm besotted. Uh, so yeah, that that'd be my last of the naturally aspirated V8s. Um, mm. Just enough technology to keep me sane, but not enough to ruin the experience. I mean, because it's, it's like stupid. Like the new Conigs that just come out, is this got like. 1200 horsepower and it's got a seven clutch gearbox it's insane yeah the weird thing (laughs) so it's like the technology hasn't it's gone it's regressed but it's improved it it completely confuses me but yeah yeah that car's an unusual one to be honest i don't really know what to what to make of it i I, i've seen all the videos i think it's pebble beach wasn't it it was it was launched but i i just i love the look of it but i can't help but think with all of this resto mod kind of stuff going and and I personally think that is a bit of a resto mod yeah. because it's it's inspired by the old CCX, right? But I just, I don't know, just buy a CCX. It's the same with, and I'm going to get absolutely flamed for this, um, but I look at the Singer 911s and I yeah. just think, why wouldn't you just go and buy a 2.7 RS, an original, what that car is trying to, you know, bring Emulate. back? Yeah. Why don't you just go and buy the original and I'm sure you'd have change for a nice 911 Turbo S anyway. You know, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that that market. I'm sure, I'm sure they're great, but for the money that they're commanding, you know, I mean, could, should a company like ProDrive be able to commission 25 Subaru oh, yeah, no, that's, that's too far. and sell them at half a million pounds or whatever they were? I just think it's insane. I mean, who's giving them the money? I don't know the people that want money back. Clearly, <laughs> so well, yeah. I suppose they'll all be in garages, won't they? You can find someone that's got enough money to fund anything at this point. So there you go. Yeah, no, you um, are right. 
Yeah, the ne- next one being you have one track or road and one car. What are you taking and where are you going? Oh, see, that's a difficult one because part of me would want to say my original R50 mm. and something like the NC500, um, but the my heart would actually say take a GT2 RS and put it around the Nürburgring as fast as you possibly can. Um <laughs> I, th- I think I think I'd have to go GT2 RS on the Nurburgring to be honest. Um, as as regular as that may seem, yeah, punt it along as fast as possible. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had one person in this like series of questions not mention Porsche. So it's I don't know what it is about them, but it just seems every single person that likes cars cannot say no to Porsche. The but, thing know. is with Porsche is you. I don't know how to expect. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have been around the Porsche product a long time. And I've worked in dealership as well. Mm-hmm. And the cars are just second to none. I mean, the engineering that goes in it, the way they drive, the way they feel. Uh, you know, I mean, you can get into any Porsche model, a McLaren, a Panamera, a 911, at any price point, And I don't think you ever feel shortchanged, yeah. personally. If you jump into a Maserati that's £100,000, you will think, what on earth is this? But when you jump into a Panamera that's £140,000 and you start feeling round and you drive the thing, you start thinking, okay, I can see where this this is coming from. But I, I just don't think, I can't think of really a bad Porsche. Mm. I mean, okay, maybe a 924, but that they've made in relatively recent years, I don't think there's a bad one. Someone could say, oh, well, you know, what about a base box? Well, what about it? It's a great driver's car, plenty power, yeah. you know, I don't need something to rip my face off every day. It's like if you wanted an MX-5, but you want something just a bit better. Like it's just yeah, the, the, absolutely. There's, there's something for everyone with Porsche. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, a, a KN GT, which is just insane. But that's um, that's well. T- to be honest, my latest five, it could you know, it could be my next buy. Actually, I really like the idea of a KN Turbo S. Like the, you know, the early ones, two thousand and six, yeah. the first shape. One of those, I mean, you get 520 horsepower and silly amounts of torque. I just think towing with that would be absolutely incredible. Um, But then the fuel consumption wouldn't be incredible. And the £600 a year tax is not the best. No, 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 it's not not the one for you, really, is it? (laughs) No, I don't. Maybe a diesel. Diesel, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're paying half that for a Mini just just to have a Mini, so it's, it's not really worth it. Oh yeah, three hundred. I think it's three hundred twenty-five pound. I might have fifty now for yeah. what I don't drive it. So, what is it about cars that you love? Everything. I, uh, it sounds really soppy, but absolutely everything. I, I love the community surrounding them, uh, aesthetics. The, the fact that I, I could walk around Goodwood and stop and stare at a nineteen fifty-eight Ferrari two hundred and fifty TDF for an hour. Mm having a a drink is I find that you know remarkable that something could be a piece of art um but I think the main thing is definitely the way they drive the fact that I can clear my mind instantly just by taking out any car and and, you know I mean I took a Rover SD1 uh, earlier this morning and you know I don't really like it but it's I, I kind of I'm picturing myself in the 80s driving this thing round and you know, it, it's, I think for me, if I could put it down to one thing, it'd be if cars could speak, what would they say? Mm-hmm. And I like to try and piece together the story for the car as much as possible. Yeah. And if I can capture a, a story from a car, then I'm, I'm all for it. Brilliant. And it seems like a real escape, isn't it? Just, just, just to be able to drive in itself is an exercise. It's almost like a meditation. Yeah. I've described it millions of times. Like you say, you clear your mind, you go through the gears, you go through the motion. This is things that like non-car people would understand is this the, the automatics take so much out of the driving experience. No, I, I mean, yeah, I, some of mine are automatics. I won't, I won't lie. You know, something like my E39 530i, that's just a nice yeah. cruiser. You know, I don't, I don't really want it to be a manual. Um, and I know you get a lot of, um, I don't want to be controversial again here, but you get a lot of Americans that kind of uh, bang on about manuals and, and things, but something like a seven series or an S class, why on earth would I want a manual? Yeah. But you know, this I mean, this morning I went for a, a bit of a drive in that in that seven forty i, and I was so relaxed and it was tranquil and so silent. But then I jumped back into an R fifty to come home, and it was manic. And it's that kind of you know, I'm going from laid back, you know, one hand on the wheel, palming and and whatnot, to heel and toeing, and you know, chucking it in to roundabouts. And as you say, that contrast 
is it's just so nice to have. And the last question being, if you have any advice or any tips for someone that wanted to, I don't know, start collecting cars or start buying and selling, what would that advice be? Um, I, I'd probably say buy what you want. Don't buy things for other people or don't try and buy things because you think it might go up in value or because if you are left with, I mean, if, if all my cars became worth nothing tomorrow, I'd be fine because I love the asset, mm. but don't see it as, as a, you know, a bank account. Don't see it as an ISA. See it as a car. If you want to buy the car, buy it. If you try and justify it by it going up in value, then fair enough, but buy it for the right reasons. Buy it because you want it, because if all comes crashing down, then it's what you're left with. No, brilliant. And Harry, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. No, thank you very much, Harry. No worries. And where can guys find you if you're, if you're looking for you on the internet? At Cars and Custard on Instagram, um, and soon at Cars and Custard on YouTube. The account is up, but there's not really much on there. But yeah, Cars and Custard. Be waiting with bated breath. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, then that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars. Harry seems to be a man who puts great thought into his actions, taking the simplicities of life and trying to enjoy them wherever possible. I don't think he would call himself a collector or even a success, so that's why I will. I don't think he would mind me saying either that he is also incredibly humble for someone who has been so consistent and so successful being able to trade up and up and up to get cars that seem unattainable at his age. It does make me think back to a quote by Nelson Mandela that says, nothing is impossible until it is done. So if you're listening to this and want to buy that first car, don't hesitate. There will never be a perfect time to start doing it. And the car that you want may not be the car that you need to start off. Like Harry says, he tries not to predict what car comes his way next, as that would stop the opportunity for him to buy a car that he didn't necessarily think he needed or wanted, but turned out to be a surprise and one that's paid dividends. And that doesn't just go for cars, it goes for life as well. Don't plan your success, because you never know. The very thing that you need to start and get going may be right under your nose. So why not look down and smell the roses? You might find that that scent carries you further than you ever thought it could. So, with that being said, I'm Harry, and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening.